that a 9 in 10 adults have some component of the metabolic syndrome, whether we're talking about an oversized waistline or exceedingly high levels of blood sugar. And with air, nutrition, sleep, and water, I mean, those are, those are the major leverage points for people to start to steer the ship in the right direction. This is The Playbook. This has been a long time coming. I have one of my favorite podcasters, uh, one of the top podcasts there is, uh, at least in the health field. Uh, the Genius Life is absolutely genius. Max Lugavere, welcome to the podcast. David, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. And you, like I, do a lot more than just the podcast. Uh, filmmaker, health and science journalist, you're, of course, best-selling author, um, speaker, and it's just such a pleasure to have you on here because even the title, The Genius Life, you know, I talk about genius all the time, is the expression of God. And mm. inherent within the context of that is what you deal with every day, which is we are all this expression of God. And I've shifted the paradigm of my life from dis-ease to ease, meaning I am happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. I got to figure out what I'm doing to interfere with it. and to that context, I look to the necessities of this life, which is nutrition, water, air, and sleep. And in the genius life, uh, as I've often heard you talk about nutrition, water, air, breathing, and sleep. And so I wanted to start with the genius life and how important it is to express the life or, or express God through us with the four basic necessities of life. And should we spend our time focused in on those four things alone? Or is there more that we should focus in on? Oh, man. Well, I mean, with those four, you've pretty much nailed the, the low-hanging fruit for the vast majority of people who are struggling with metabolic illness today which is a massive problem. Today, nine in 10 adults have some component of the metabolic syndrome, whether we're talking about an oversized waistline or exceedingly high levels of blood sugar. Um, and with air, nutrition, sleep, and water, I mean, those are, those are, the, major, those are the major leverage points for people to start to turn the ship into the, to start to steer the ship in the right direction. I mean, I happen to be a, a massive nutrition fan and, and I'm a fan of the science. I'm a big nutrition nerd. And so I, I always like to talk about nutrition, but I think it is important to recognize that you could last a few months without food. You could last a few days at the most without water, but only a few moments, two minutes at the most without air. So this is a, these are all major, major, majorly important components of our biology. And then of course, sleep is the master regulator that makes it all possible, right? Without sleep, I mean, it would be a major mistake on the part of nature to have us do something for a third of our lives if it had no meaningful benefit to our to our day to day functioning and our health. So sleep is is incredibly important. And when you're well slept, all the other pieces are much more easily able to fall into place appropriately. Dietary change, for example, it's one of the hardest things for most people to do, and it becomes exponentially more difficult on just one night of poor sleep. So. I love that framework for, for thinking about things. And uh, I'm excited to talk about any one of those topics in greater detail. Um, so you lead the way, David. Yeah, sorry. You know, I wanted to put those out there first because I'm going to put them into the context of how they're relative to nutrition because that is your core competency. You have a new book called The Genius Kitchen, which is about nutrition. Um, but I, you know, as a prelude, wanted to go through these great necessities 
hoping that you would tell us as you have how important they are. But I just in that context would like you to keep that in mind, water, air and sleep when you're talking about your book, when we're talking about nutrition. Um, I'm going to take a step back from there. Uh, I talk about skills, knowledge and desire with entrepreneurs and your skills and knowledge are you know, very deep when it comes to understanding nutrition. And you know, it's nice now later on as you have these great outcomes to show off your skills and knowledge, but it took a lot of desire to get to be an expert. It takes a lot of desire to have millions and millions of downloads on your podcast and to have a best-selling book and to be you know, a great uh, source for people. And so I wanna talk about that desire that it took when people were laughing at you, scoffing at you and making fun of you as you went through this journey to become who you are today, filmmaker, health and science journalist. There was a lot of boring studying that went on, as you said, I'm a nutrition nerd. What desire did it take to make it to where you are today? Oh man, you know, I, I think about a point in my life about 10 years ago now where I was just a regular person. I wasn't uh, somebody that anybody would call a nutrition expert. Um, I didn't have a podcast. I had yet to, I mean, the idea of writing a book wasn't even, it wasn't even that. It wasn't even an idea. I was just somebody who was trying to figure out what was going on with his mother. So my mom at a young age developed a, a rare form of dementia called Lewy body dementia. And I had no prior family history of any kind of neurodegenerative disease. Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia. It's what most people might be familiar with. Or Parkinson's disease is another common neurodegenerative condition. But um, at the age of 58, my mom, still very much in the prime of her life, started to show the earliest symptoms of what would ultimately be diagnosed as this incurable progressive condition. And it wasn't until we decided to take the leap of faith and book an appointment at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, which is a, a, a cathedral to Western medicine, right? Known for taking on very complex medical cases where the, for, the, for the first time she was diagnosed with a neurodegenerative condition and she was prescribed drugs for both Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. And for me, I mean, you talk about desire, but at that point it became obsession. It became an obsession to try to understand to the best of my ability, why this would have happened to a mother at the age at which it did, what, if anything, could be done from a diet and lifestyle standpoint to help her? Because as I, anybody, David, any millennial with a data plan will know that when you get a prescription drug from the doctor's office, the first thing you do is you go and you Google it. You consult Dr. Google. And that's exactly what I did with these, with, with these drugs. Again, I was not an expert. And phrases stood out at me, no disease modifying ability, incurable progressive, terminal. And so at that point, I just, you know, I really wanted to know, was there anything that could potentially have a disease modifying effect from maybe not a, a, a medical standpoint, but from a nutritional standpoint, from, from, a, from the standpoint of my, my mother's lifestyle. And in tandem with that line of inquiry, it also became about prevention because I realized for the first time that I had a risk factor, right? When you're, when you have a, a close family member that has a chronic um, condition such as dementia, suddenly you now have a risk factor for that disease. I could easily in the future develop what it was that my mom suffered from. And so it became a singularity in my life, to borrow a term from astrophysics, where there was no turning back. Suddenly I ceased to be interested in anything that I had previously been interested in. And my focus became singular. It became about 
about diving into the, the primary literature and doing the best that I could using my skill set and the tools that were available to me at the time to understand everything that there was to know about nutrition. And that, as I mentioned, was a journey that began 10 years ago. It's something that's going to continue on until the day that I die. I'm, it's my life's mission to know all there is to know about how to protect our brains as we age, how to enhance the way that they work in the here and now, how to use diet and lifestyle to support mental health, which is something that many people are struggling with and is in fact also something that my mother struggled with. Um, depression, anxiety. It's interesting because you're not a science guy. When you went to the University of Miami, you weren't studying biochem, ochem, biology. You were really wanting, it seems to be a filmmaker, understanding psychology and, and yeah. film, which are two great subjects to study if you're going to be a filmmaker is understanding human nature and portraying it you know on mediums and amplifying it especially uh but yet you delved into an area that was completely uh you know non-familiar uh and to learn everything about it and now it's a, a journey and continuing that journey but like every great skill and knowledge and desire we eventually apply it to our passion uh in you uh, are a filmmaker and, you know, raised funds and, and created a documentary and have made yourself an expert through different mediums. When did you decide that you were going to take this knowledge that you've gained, these skills that you've learned, and then put them back into, you know, what was going to be your profession? You know, this filmmaking capacity is raising money for a documentary. Yeah, that's such a good question. That was my first project, this documentary. So, I began, it was very much like Joseph Campbell's hero, hero's journey in the sense that I began completely in the woods, right? I, I had no, I didn't even have a compass. I was lost in the fog of war that chronic disease typically presents with. And as you mentioned, I, I was not an expert. I, I was, I'm not a medical doctor. I didn't go through the rigors of, uh, of, of higher level PhD education. Um, but I was trained as a journalist, which not as rigorous as when you become a PhD, but it does train you to how to investigate a topic. You are able to recognize what sources are credible versus which are less so. Um, you're trained to ask questions, always to be a skeptic. And so I used that skill set along with the fact that I was a quasi public figure for my first job out of college. Um, I was a journalist for a TV network in the United States called Current TV. And I used those skills to the benefit of my family. And I started to research. Um, at first, it was what mo where most people go, which was TED Talks and books for the lay people. And then I dove into the primary literature because we now live in a time where we have all of the world's knowledge accessible at our fingertips 24 hours a day on our smartphones. And PubMed is this amazing resource that um, allows any of us to have access to peer-reviewed medical literature. And I found a friend at the time who was still affiliated with a university who gave me their university login so that I was actually able to download all of the research papers that I wanted access to. And I just would read them from sunup to sundown, David. I, I, I mean, I'm saying I'm using the term obsessed and I don't use that term lightly. It was all that I lived, breathed. I was starting to dream about nutrition science. And because I, I, I had this fire under my butt and that was that my mom, the, the clock was ticking for my mom. And it wasn't easy at first, but 
my method was I would read the the introductions and discussions um, and conclusions of all of the research papers, and I would if I didn't understand the way, the, the phrasing of a certain term, I would cross reference it with another paper, and I would always go to the uh, the references of every paper that I was reading, and I would dig up a lot of meta analyses and research reviews. And you read enough, and so, and and at a certain point, you just the the clarity of truth begins to emerge, and um, your knowledge builds. It's 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 a cumulative snowball effect. And in tandem with my with my self education, I also realized that the best way to learn is to teach. So as I would learn, I would share on social media the things that I was learning about. And my given my background as a journalist, this actually gave me the upper hand because I was a, I was for years I became a very skilled uh, storyteller and communicator of topics that require a bit more precision to communicate right when you're a journalist reaching millions of people on TV you know how important language is and so when I was communicating this science I was very diligent with my verbiage and um, and I saw after a pretty short amount of time that people were gravitating to my message so I realized not just a passion and even an obsession for the topic, but I realized that I had an aptitude for it and I had skills. So the aptitude aspect of it might be innate, um, but I also had skills that I had gleaned from years working in the field as a, as a journalist. And that's when things started to snowball. And after a certain point, I realized, um, or I decided rather to do a documentary on the topic, which was my first project. And it was a project called Breadhead, um, which hasn't been released yet. We're actually re we're in the in the middle of renaming the project, and it's almost finished. And I'm so excited that you asked me about it. Um, but I, that was my first project where really I kind of set my foot out and and planted a flag and and kind of showed the world that this was my my passion. This is a topic that going forward you're going to be hearing a lot about from me. And the Dr. Oz show caught wind of my efforts, and they had me on the show. And I since went on to become the most frequent recurring guest on the Dr. Oz show, uh, more so than anybody else. I mean, next to Dr. Oz, I, I feel like I've been on that show at this point, maybe 50 some odd times. Um, rest in peace, by the way, because the Dr. Oz show is no longer. Dr. Oz is now doing a, a, a different thing. But, um, but that one thing led to another that led to the opportunity to write a book. And so there was a good, there were a good couple of years where I was really struggling financially, but I just, you know, my, my North star was my mom was, was this perennial quest for understanding the truth about what was going on with her and the desire to ultimately help other people. Um, so that what she experienced wasn't uh, going to be in vain. And through that, you know, I always say uh, Lou Holtz, the coach at Notre Dame, right? It's not what we say. It's what people hear. And because you have that skill set of being able to communicate effectively and eloquently, people hear what you're saying, which is why Dr. Oz put you on to that show so many times and why so many other shows put you on, because you may not be the world's most renowned doctor, but people hear you and you're able to explain things because the perspective in which you learned it was one more of what the common person watching would understand instead of someone that had gone through 12 years of schooling in order to facilitate the long vernacular and vocabulary that's necessary to talk about the biogenetics of in the epigenetics of the importance of balanced diet, for example. Um, what, as we finish up, what did you learn? You know, what are some of the best pieces of advice that you learned in this pursuit of this potential that has now built your brand, built your knowledge base, and will continue to help millions of people 
what was the final you know takeaway so far uh, that you can help people with? I mean, I would say that by and far, the, the more that I've learned, the more I've realized that the most optimal biologically appropriate diet for human beings to preserve, to not just enhance our, our, our health in the here and now, but to preserve our health, our health as we age so that we can have long and healthy lifespans, which by the way, is a, is a, a privilege afforded to the few these days. Our lifespans are getting longer because medicine is getting better at keeping us alive, but our health spans are shrinking. And our health span is the amount great of- Great point. <laughs> Repeat that for everyone, because that's yeah. a great point. Where our lifespans are getting longer because medicine, modern medicine is, is getting better at keeping us alive, right? But we're we're spending more time in a, in a state of chronic disease. So disease. our health spans- right. in disease, exactly. Disease. Yeah. Our health spans are shrinking. And my mother had a short lifespan and a and a and a short health span. So my mom spent many years with a with this chronic disease. And so so what I've realized about the the best way that we know of, given given the the current body of evidence, is that the optimal human diet for a human to flourish, we need to consume both animal sourced products and whole plants. Both. Now everybody's going to have there's going to be variation in the optimal amount and, 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 and variety and specificity in terms of the plants required for each or, or that are optimal for each person. There is no one size fits all diet, but in general, animal sourced proteins provide the most pristine source of protein. By far, this is an incontrovertible, uh, non-controversial fact that animal source protein is the highest quality, most digestible protein that can be found in nature. And also animal proteins tend to come with them a myriad of highly bioavailable micronutrients that we know are crucially important to supporting our, our biology and to, and, to, and to encourage the robustness that we need in order to age well. So we can talk about um, carnonutrients like creatine or taurine, which we know are really important for maintaining healthy blood pressure or ma maintaining energy metabolism in our brains. Um, or the fact that animal derived products are the best source of preformed omega threes, which we know are one of the most important structural building blocks for the brain. Your brain can continue to grow and change up until death. And the, the impetus really is on you to supply your brain with a building block so that it can create healthy new brain cells. Right. And the best building blocks are going to come from foods like wild salmon. It's a great source of omega three. Uh, preformed fats like docosahexaenoic acid or DHA. We all, people have heard of DHA fat. It's one of the most important structural building blocks for the brain. When it comes to plants, we know that we, that dietary fiber is really helpful. Your average American today consumes less than 15 grams of fiber on a daily basis, whereas one of our hunter-gatherer ancestors consumed about 150 grams per day. I'm not saying that you need to consume 150 grams per day, but the standard American diet, which is now composed of 60% ultra-processed foods by calories, is fiber deficient, it's protein deficient, and it leads many of us to overconsumption. They have done studies that have shown that ultra-processed foods, by the time you reach a point of satiety when consuming them, you've already overconsumed your daily calorie budget by about 500 calories. So that right there is the underpinning of the obesity epidemic, right? But plants themselves also provide really important protector molecules for the brain. For example, when you eat a bowl of dark leafy greens, which by the way, if you do that every day, uh, about a cup and a half of dark leafy greens a day, so it's one salad a day, is associated with reduced brain aging by up to 11 years. You get protector molecules like lutein and zeaxanthin, which we know for we've we've known for decades can help protect the neural tissue in your eyes from degener degeneration and helping and and 
This helps prevent a condition called age-related macular degeneration. But these same uh, plant pigments, these carotenoids, accumulate in the brain where they help protect your brain cell membranes from aging and decay. So crucially important to, to bring in both. Also, I talk a lot about, and you can get details to all of my recommendations distilled and made highly actionable and, and, and achievable in my book, Genius Kitchen. But your brain is made of fat. So the kinds of fats that you consume, crucially important to determining not just the quality of your thoughts and your mood and mental health, all that relevant stuff, but also how well your brain is able to defend against the stresses which it inevitably is going to uh, encounter as, as you navigate the modern world. So making sure that the primary fats that you're using are healthful fats like extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil, and steering clear from the grain and seed oils like canola oil, corn oil, and soybean oil. Those are all crucially, crucially important. Um, and, and that's why I think both plants and animals play such an important uh, role in the Genius Kitchen. And I agree with you. And what I was turned on to you years ago, you know, gen Genius Foods, my mission is to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. And when I saw Genius Foods, it said, become smarter, happier, and more productive. Basically make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. You, health, you know, as you know, from Genius Kitchen and of course your podcast, Genius Life, you know, I had to re-engineer my own life because like many other people, I put my family first and uh, you seem to seem to be someone who values their family, obviously. And then I put the activity I got paid for second and somehow health was third and I never had time for it. And then my wife, as I recovered from losing all our money and I said, what do you want? Anything in the world, what can I give to you? You've saved my life and we're back. You know, what can I do? She said, take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. And I know that's all you want to do is be of service. And for me, you know, I started thinking, wow, if you're healthy, you get as many wishes as you want. And what I want to do is have people wish for what they want, because I think the universe is abundant in that nature. But if you're unhealthy, and I've seen the richest people in the world, the most successful people and family members who I love so much, when they're unhealthy, they only have one wish. And we can, as you said, we can live longer, happy, healthier, productive lives simply by eating and drinking and sleeping and breathing the right way. Uh, and it's really not that hard when we have coherence. We either suffer from discipline or we suffer from regret. Please, everyone, read these books. They're incredible. The Genius Kitchen, The Genius Foods, and of course, listen to my favorite podcast, The Genius Life. Thank you so much. 